news, everyone. We were pretty much right about our picks last week in terms of who was going to make it to the playoffs. And now we get to predict who's going to win it all, who's at least going to win the first round series, and uh, the ripple effect it could have on the NHL landscape. Episode 318 of the Lace Up Podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Zuboff. Before we preview the playoffs, Brett, I believe we have a couple of rapid-fire items to sort through, so uh, let's get to those. Yeah, we have a lot to get to, so I will try to make this quick. But I guess the first thing was just to react to what happened last week. Uh, Vegas ended up missing the playoffs. Uh, they ended up uh, getting uh, like three shutout or three shootout losses, uh, one to the Sharks, one to Dallas, and I think the third one was to Chicago. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, I mean, I, I guess as we mentioned last week, it, it wasn't like so shocking when you hear all the Robin Leonard news and then, you know, uh, they didn't have Mark Stone for most of the year. They didn't have Pacioretty for most of the year and Eichel. Uh, granted, he was injured before they traded for him, and they had this cap situation, uh, cap stuff situation going. Uh, but I didn't realize this um, until afterwards. But um, but so apparently, so Robin Leonard was ruled out for the rest of the season after we we uh, talked about it, and then um, but. That means that for the Sharks game, um, remember this was the one where like the the Golden Knights gave up, allowed like three unanswered goals in the third period, and then ended up losing that game. Um, the uh, like they would have like there were two goalies, so Logan Thompson and Robin Leonard on the bench, and I like the reason why they couldn't. Like, which would mean is, like, usually in those situations when your team is, like, giving... Or when your goalie gives up that many goals, uh, usually what happens is uh, Robin Leonard... Or, like, you know, they replace the goalie and hope for something to change. Um, But they couldn't do that because if they were, one, um, they, you know, uh, Robin Leonard would be uh, injured or, like, you know, would risk further injuring himself and then two like for cap reasons they couldn't even call up someone from the AHL um so like because of their cap situation for whatever reason I guess they couldn't put Leonard on the ITR or IR um and call up uh whoever was their goalie in the AHL so that was interesting um I also I forget which uh game it was but there was also one point when what really started this whole thing with Leonard and DeBoer was the, uh, like, there was a point um, early on in the season, or not early on, but, like, um, I think it was before the Sharks game, but Leonard gave up one goal in 13 shots, which isn't too bad, of course, but they were losing, and then um, he got pulled. And that's a little strange, because that's, like, kind of the difference from what we were saying. It's like one goal isn't that bad. Like it would be one thing if he gave up like 
three goals or whatever. Um, and then the obvious question happened in the jury during after the show um, after the game, and uh, he DeBoer was asked about why did he pull Leonard when you know when he when he only just gave up one goal and uh, like they were just wondering if he was injured. And of course he was still injured, but Dobor says, no, he wasn't injured. He, he just thought uh, like, it just wasn't his night, which is a ridiculous thing to, to do. Cause it's like, that just shows that you don't have your faith in your goalie, even though he is injured. So I would, you had no, yeah. you had no faith in him uh, yeah. to, to, to bench flurry for him a couple of years right. ago. Right. And all of a sudden it just vanishes. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's just like, like, so it's like, he was probably lying because now that we know that Leonard was injured, but like that's such a like a strange thing to do. So I can see why. Like I, I think like behind the scenes where there are reports that Leonard is mad with Vegas right now, and so it's like I don't blame uh, Leonard for being mad if like if all that stuff is true. Like what? Like especially to like publicly mention like oh we we um you know like <laughs> to mention publicly like that like yes we he did give up one goal. But uh, he's not injured or anything. <laughs> Just like, what's going on? So um, I I think after hearing all that stuff, I think DeBoer has to go. Like I know it, like all these injuries like would hurt everyone because it would be the equivalent of like Bergeron, Pasternak, Marchand, and Taylor Hall all being injured for majority of the season for my Bruins. Um, so I I will give them Vegas a pass this year. But like even still, like DeBoer, like like they Vegas almost made the playoffs even with all these injury things that they had going on. Um, so I'm gonna judge them. I'm not gonna judge them this year. I know it sucks and all that stuff, but it is tough to do that. Um, and of course, this whole like tap convention that they may have intentionally done. I don't know if that's there's any proof of that. But yeah, just the fact that like DeBoer doesn't know what he's doing or doesn't know how to handle players it's just ridiculous so i feel like DeBoer is gone um i think that's like a guaranteed thing just just because of the confidence thing not because yeah. of the performance thing yeah like if, if you have start if you have issues with your starting goaltender and your starting goaltender is questioning the belief between goalie and coach right um at that point you need to look at again coaches that are going to give players a clean slate and also are going to get people to buy in. And again, I mentioned it last week. I've mentioned it a few other times. If John Tortorella is available and Vegas is willing to let him do his thing and not get in the way, I think that could be at least for the first three to four years a marriage that works very well for the Golden Knights. Uh, That being said, they're going to have to shed some salary uh, Riley Smith is a pending free agent. I doubt he stays. He'll have to take a massive pay cut if he wants to stay. Evgeny Dadnov, I still think they try to move on from him in the offseason. Maybe they try and move him to Anaheim. That'd be funny. <laughs> Maybe he removes Anaheim uh, off the list now that Trevor Zegras is uh, like five years away from God tier in the National Hockey League. So yeah. may- maybe that deal to Anaheim happens. Matthias Yen and Mark is a free agent. Laurent Brossois, I know they. Uh, signed him to a contract uh, this past offseason, but the reason I mention him is because Logan Thompson and the action that he got in the down the stretch, yep. he looked pretty good. Yeah, and he, he looked look like good. a full NHL goaltender. So 
it wouldn't shock me if they wanted to save a couple million on and invested somewhere else. And Thompson is in the NHL full time as of next year. Also, one of my work buddies mentioned he's not a big fan of Matt's patch ready and entering the final year of his contract. He, he thinks Vegas should move on from patches. And yeah. I looked at Patrick's numbers yeah. and he's, and he's still better than the likes of like Riley Smith. He's still better than the likes of William Carlson too. Uh, you go down the list is his production still pretty good at his age. Yeah. So the only way I would probably trade away Max patch ready, if it was a hockey deal and like they were getting, I don't know, to name a guy, JT Miller from the Vancouver Canucks. Oh, if you're getting a guy with equal talent at maybe a lesser cap value, then maybe I trade patches. Year. But otherwise, I, I hang on to him and yeah. and see what he can do in his final year. Yeah, I um, yeah, that's interesting. I feel like the thing with this Vegas team is is that like once they got Jack Eichel, it was like okay, like this team can be will be like ready to go if everyone's healthy and things like that. And that was the issue is that no one was healthy at the same time. So I I would like to see this team with a grand, uh, like a bigger stretch of time to see like how they would do when they are healthy, um, when Mm -hmm. everyone's healthy. So I I wouldn't do anything drastic like trading Mac Petretti. I wouldn't hate the JT Miller trade though, but, um, but yeah, I guess I, I um I mean I, I think the only things that they do, they should do is uh fire Pete DeBoer and um and obviously they're gonna make a cap dump move but like you know still like keep on to Stone keep on to Eichel keep on to Pacioretty yeah. Pedrangelo Theodore um and Leonard but like everyone else like I could like everyone else is unsafe in terms of like um making a tr- tr- uh. A cap dump move because those guys I just mentioned are your are your core, um, and I would like to see what that team is like with all those guys healthy, um, and like a fresh season to start. I I think like there is still more to go. Um, I'm not sure if I love John Tortorella for this team to be honest, um, but uh, but yeah, I can't really think of other coaches that are out there that are available, but. I, I guess knowing Vegas, they they will probably go out and get the the biggest name out there, and that Tortorella seems like he's the biggest name right now. So if they want to be consistent playoff contenders, and we all know how bad Jack Eichel wants to get into the playoffs, and yeah. he still hasn't done that yet, even though he was on what appeared to be a playoff contender uh, at the time of the trade right. with Buffalo back in November, um, I think he would be willing to give the Tortorella experience a chance if he knows he's going to be playing meaningful hockey in April and possibly May. Um, Over time, again, we'll see. But uh, for a team that's hungry to win now, I think Tortorella would be the proper answer for this group. Again, you're you're getting a guy that would get all of his team uh, to get all of his players to buy in, regardless of who's injured and who's healthy. Yeah. The again, the only question is, will Vegas management allow Tortorella to get the free reins to do what he wants? Because I still think a part of me thinks that if you're not in line with Vegas management and what they're 
it, I get this feeling with Vegas management that if you don't go in line with what they say or what they believe in, your job might be in jeopardy. So um, they have to kind of move past what their vision is and be uh, not to say they can't, but they, they need to allow John Tortorella, the free reigns to, to do what he can to get this team in tip top shape and turn this team into a consistent playoff team. We all know Vegas, when they get to the playoffs, they can be a deadly team. We've seen what they're capable of. But it's just that consistent work ethic each and every single night. I think that's been lacking lately, maybe since uh, the 2020 series against Vancouver. But when, when this team is on, this team is on, and it's top 10 team at worst in the NHL. Maybe top five, top three at yeah. best. Yeah, I don't know if, like, defense is necessarily their issue, and that's why I'm, like, I'm not sure it's, like, the perfect fit for Vegas, but I do hear what you're saying, so. It's just more the team aspect, the team game, the playing style. Right. Um, I think John John Tortorell is a guy that can get the best out of both worlds, and especially early on, the results are quick, they're swift, and they're excellent. Yep. Uh... And um, speaking of other coaches, uh, it looks like Jeff Blaschel is going to be let go. Um, I guess this was like a long time coming. Like this is like, you know, Detroit did show uh, promise this year. Um, Lucas Raymond, of course, he had 57 points in 82 games. Uh, Mort Sider had 50 points in 82 games was a primary guy for the power play. I would assume he's going to win, unfortunately, even though I want Zegers to win it. But I, I think you were the one who called it. I think that uh, you think that Cider is going to win it. Uh, but um, so and they have, you know, a couple of uh, prospects in the in the pipeline. Um, there's uh, what's his face? I mean, Edvidson, who they drafted last year, um, is the big the big prospect that the Red Wings have in their system. So. Um, I guess this, I felt like this was a move that, you know, the Red Wings should have made uh, last year. But, um, but yeah, even like in the first half, the Red Wings did look um, pretty good. Um, and, you know, they thought like, oh, they were even like, I think they were one of the teams that were in playoff contention. Um, if like the game, if the season ended in by Thanksgiving or something like that. So. Um, so there was there was something like that where they were that good. So maybe there is something, but yeah, then they just fell apart towards um, towards the end of the year. And um, I guess it, it just shows that they're a young team, so they need a fresh mind out there. Um, and yeah, I mean maybe that is also like John Tortorella, but um, <laughs> we'll see. Um, I, 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 I in Stevie we trust, as they say, right? Yeah, and Stevie we trust. Uh, Stevie Y is going to make the moves that are necessary for this yeah. team. And while I do applaud Jeff Blashill for making strides with this group, especially in the first half, there are some glaring factors, especially in a very tough division, where the same results will follow if you do not make improvements. And in particular for this Detroit Red Wings team, and it's been a consistent theme lately, goals against and penalty kill. The Detroit Red Wings gave up 310 goals, one fewer than the Arizona Coyotes, who had 50 losses and only 25 wins. Detroit finished 32, 40, and 10 on the year, and a significant point margin ahead of Arizona. 
yet they still gave up more goals than a Coyotes team with a clearly, clearly worse team than Detroit and clearly a worse defense. Yet the Coyotes posted a better penalty kill percentage than the Red Wings. And the Red Wings was like probably dead last in the league, 73.8%, terrible. And that Coyotes team also gave up almost two more full shots per game than the Red Wings did. Yeah. Also, Detroit gave up seven fewer goals than the Habs, who didn't have Carey Price and Shea Weber for pretty much the entire year. Shea Weber missed the entirety of it. And uh, Montreal finished with 49 losses. And yet, despite finishing 19 points ahead of the Habs, they were almost near the same amount of goals against as Montreal was. So, clearly the goals against the penalty kill, uh, you need to make changes there. It's been a consistent issue for a couple years with Blashell at the helm. And uh, just plain and simple, you need a coach to take this group farther as the years go on and i think flash hill although he had a good first start uh in 2015-16 that team made the playoffs after babcock left uh they haven't made the playoffs since and they've gotten progressively worse so um he tried but um in terms of getting this group uh in a in a better place um i don't think flash hill can do it if he if his team can't keep the puck out of the net no matter yeah. no matter They've they've iced Thomas Christ, they've iced Jonathan Bernier, they've iced Alex Nedeljkovic, they've iced uh, Jimmy Howard, yeah. uh, Peter Morazic in that time, and again the same thing remains. They struggle to keep the puck out of the net. So until that changes, they're not going to be making progress in a heavily stacked Atlantic Division where every single team, not not to mention the uh, entire metro but every single playoff team got at least 100 points right detroit had 74 so they need to be miles better than where they are right now and i just didn't think it was going to happen with jeff uh, blashell as coach so uh this is actually a team that needs john tortorella more than vegas does <laughs> uh yeah their yeah their you're not wrong their defense was terrible like you know i i feel like tortorella will work them up to shape um and yeah, and maybe you know make a run for it um, in the playoffs. So um, now you mentioned also yeah. quickly in the email chat that we had, Brett, uh, the possibility oh, yeah. of a European coach coaching the Red Wings. Well, you look at the European talent that yeah. they have in their front office. I wouldn't rule it out, but I yeah. I don't think that's likely. Yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, even the guy that I uh, mentioned it, it was Greg Wyszynski. I'm gonna pull up the tweet here. Um, yeah, so his name. Let me pull up the tweet really quickly here. Um, he coached. Uh, he coached. Uh, he's coaching in Sweden at the moment, right? No, uh, the Swiss league, uh, the ZSC oh, league, right. Lions, uh, which is famously where Austin Matthews played his draft year. Yeah, I um, don't know if that coach in particular was responsible for that. I think Mark Crawford was the coach yeah, over so, there when Matthews was there. Yeah, but yeah, I don't, I don't definitely think it's a well-known program over there for sure. Um, it's not the same guy, but I, yeah, I looked up yeah. his stats and he looked like he was pretty good, but um, I, I don't know where this tweet is, but um, but yeah, uh, Greg Wyszynski was mentioning that, but he also said that like even, oh, here it is. Um, give, so Wyszynski says, given where they are as a franchise, the Detroit Red Wings probably opt for someone with previous NHL head coaching experience to get wins and help the kids grow. But if there ever was a place where Rickard Gronberg, I guess that's his name, seemed like a perfect coaching fit, it's Detroit. 
Um, I, I guess I, I did look this up, and he was the coach for Sweden in the world's um, in the world championships that ended up winning the cha- uh, the whole championship stuff. So I, I think that's why uh, he's getting some stuff. And uh, he was also on the rumor mill of being the coach for the 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 coach uh, for Buffalo. Um, but I guess uh, Buffalo decided to keep with uh, their current coach that they have. Um, so, so yeah, maybe he does get a shot. Maybe it's not with Detroit, as Wish is mentioning. But, uh, but yeah, maybe this is a guy that we see um, next year for for some team, and I'll be kind of curious to see how he does. Um, yeah, it's it's inter- it's interesting, honestly. Like when right. you think about the NHL and the NBA, uh, Major League Baseball, and um, like the NFL, you think of like uh, Canadian American coaches. You don't really think of coaches in like Europe or yeah. Asia or Russia, just like well-known coaches outside of North America right. coming to a North American league to lend their expertise. Right, right. I mean, it would be like uh, like Ralph Kruger is one of them, but yeah. Yeah, he's um, one of the few. There was also Ivan Alenka, I think, for yeah. a time he was with the Penguins, but that didn't last very long. Well, so did Ralph Kruger. He didn't last long either. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he lo- yeah. Uh, to be fair, Kruger lasted longer than Alinka did. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that uh, is Alinka interesting. Alinka was though. very well known and highly respected. That is interesting, though, a concept. Maybe it's something we can talk about later because we do have to get going. But, like, yeah, there sure. aren't really a ton of European yeah, that would, coaches. That would be a good off-season topic, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. But, um, yeah, there aren't too many European coaches. And if there are, like, they don't necessarily do well. Um, off the top, but yeah, maybe they like they should be like an assistant coach somewhere or something, and then just so that they can get used to the new ice, like European ho- hockey players have to do. I don't know. Um, anyways, uh, so we're gonna start off. Uh, so I don't know if you know this, Steve, but the playoffs are tomorrow, or I guess today when you're listening to this, listeners. Um, yeah, what what are playoffs? My team hasn't been in them for <laughs> I think the past five years now. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Sorry to to burst your bubble there. Hey, but I, you know what? This is fine because I have no <laughs> I have no dog in the fight. They can play five overtimes. Sure. So I won't be stressed. It's perfect. Yeah, yeah. I'll just um, lose sleep. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, and you can root against the Leafs, and that'll be fun. Um, yeah, uh, I was, honestly, if there if there's a time for the Leafs to break their curse, it's now because yeah. when my sense are good, I don't want them in the way. Yeah, I want them to have their happiness so that Ottawa can have theirs later. So yeah, yeah, I actually wouldn't mind the Leafs going deep and winning the playoffs this year. I wouldn't mind it. Doesn't mean they will, but I wouldn't mind it. Right, right. Um, okay, so we're gonna start off with the uh, the Atlantic, um, and then we're gonna do. Uh, so we're gonna preview. I guess I should spoiler alert. We're doing what we usually do for the playoffs. Uh, so we're gonna do, uh, we're gonna go over each series, um, and then uh, each one of us has. We split up the players to watch in, uh, for each series. I take one, or you know, I have four of them, and Steve has four players to watch. Um, and then you know, and then we'll predict. And I think this will be fun this time because I'm gonna keep track of our predictions this time. So. Um, we'll see. Um, so we're going to start off with Flor- uh, the Atlantic Division, and Florida um, is the first seed. They uh, they did end up winning the President's Trophy. I don't know if you knew this. Um, they have um, 
They went 58, 6, 18, and 6 for 122 points. I, I think I'll also mention the goal differential because I think that's kind of like a good tell of how good these teams are. But they had a goal differential of 94 goals, which is kind of insane when you, uh, not kind of, it is insane because there were multiple times when it's like they put up nine goals. Sometimes it was against Detroit, uh, the aforementioned. It should team. also be mentioned yeah. that they lost their final game 10-2, to two, so yeah. that basically cost them... That, yeah. that basically was negative eight goal differential in their final game. Right. So it could have been even better than 94 if, um, if Montreal didn't spank them in the final. Yeah, that, that is a little odd that it was Montreal. But me, I think it's just like they just weren't playing their starters. So that's that and they it. also iced Jonas Johansson, who has yeah. been ineffective as an NHL uh, regular goaltender. Right. And also, um, I don't think has played since he's come off of IR. So probably, that was a tough yeah. initiation for him. <laughs> yeah, probably the highlight of um, of the uh, the Montreal season. Yeah, um, like he yeah. played the whole game. He wasn't pulled. He gave up all 10 goals. Yep. Um, and then we have Carolina, uh, not Carolina, uh, so, excuse me, Washington. Um, they went 44, 26, and 12. They finished with 100 points. Uh, they, their goal differential was plus 30, so not too bad, but uh, not great either. Um, and, um, yeah, I – so I guess we'll – I'll start – I do have the players to watch here. We're going to – I take the one in wildcard uh, series for obvious reasons that will come, um, come <laughs> to realization in a bit, but um, – but then, uh, and then Steve gets the two three matchup, um, and yeah, I. So I have. Uh, I guess I'll start off with my predictions first, and then I'll do. Uh, let me do players to watch, and then I'll do the predictions here. Uh, so my player to watch is uh, Sam Bennett. Um, I was. I was actually having. Actually, you know what? I'm gonna do a pull an audible. Um, and I'm going to say that the player to watch is Aaron Ekblad. Um, because uh, he has been injured for the last month. But there are yeah. all the... And he you know, he finished the season with 57 points in 61 games. So that's pretty good, um, obviously. But, um, yeah, near point of game for a defenseman, yeah. that's, that's actually more than impressive. Yeah, that's yeah. That's monstrous. However, uh, the last time he played was in uh was in march so uh, march 18th in fact so i uh, like like so that means that like there are reports that he's going to come back during the playoffs maybe not game one but he will eventually come back um and if he does it's like i'm curious to see how healthy he can be if he's going to return to form right away how good can he be right away is really going to be the factor and that shall be interesting as well, um, especially since like Florida has been managing well without him. So um, yeah, I am kind of curious to see how he does um, once once he's ready and healthy. This is assuming that he's healthy, but um, but yeah, I I would just be curious to see that. Um, and yeah, even when he's off the ice, I will be curious to see um, how Florida does without him. Um, because like that, that's also like a true sign of how good this team can be. If like you know one of their best players is out for a long time, can they build up uh, a few wins and, and make it far and push for a playoff spot? 
Um, I, I don't think that uh, the Capitals will do this even if Ekblad isn't healthy. Um, I, I also have some concerns about Sergei Bobrovsky um, and Spencer Knight. Like, yeah, they have decent gold attending uh, stats, but uh, that is something to uh, look out for as well. Uh, Bobrovsky has a 9.13 save percentage and a 2.67 GAA, and Spencer Knight has a 9.08 save percentage and a GAA of 2.79. Uh, this, if you remember, this was actually their downfall last year. Like both goalies weren't that great um, in the postseason, um, and so that could be um, something to watch out for. But um, not to knock anything out of, of like Washington. But, um, but yeah, I don't think that they're, um, they have a, what it takes really. Um, like Ilya San, I like speaking of goaltending again, uh, their best goaltender, um, is Vitek Vanacek and his save percentage is 908, um, and a 2.67. Um, even Samsonov had a 896 save percentage. I didn't realize that it was sub 900. Um, so... So that that is like you know for both teams the goaltending is going to be an issue, but um, but I I do think that Florida does have enough depth um, to make this into um, a winnable series for Florida. So um, so I have Florida in five, um, but uh, but yeah they're and I think they'll worry about their goaltending next uh, next round when t- they play Toronto or uh, Tampa Bay. But uh, but not in this round. Yeah, you pretty much voiced uh, similar opinions as to what I had. Um, the only reason why the Capitals might have a shot at making this a series is if Tom Wilson lives rent-free in Florida's head for the entire series. And Tom Wilson can't be a game-changer if he's on the ice, just being an absolute pest. Because there's so much depth on the Florida Panthers, they can beat you with line one or line two or line three or all three at the exact same time. And heck, even their line four guys like Mason Marchman are putting up God-tier numbers with, like, less than 15 minutes per game. It's astonishing. Like, we talked about how loaded Colorado is. This might be the most loaded team from an offensive standpoint I have seen maybe in my entire existence on this planet following NHL hockey. I've never seen a team this loaded. Um even if Tom Wilson honestly starts getting into their heads and starts to piss off guys like Claude Giroux and Sam Bennett, yep. you still have guys like Patrick Hornquist. You still have Radko Gudis. You still have Ryan Lomberg, who will probably fight back with Fists of Fury if they have to. Yep. So even though they have two solid towers in uh, Anthony Mantha and Tom Wilson, um, I, I just think the Capitals are going to be outgunned in a variety of ways um, to the point where you said, Brett, it doesn't matter how good the goaltending is. You look at the Florida Panthers power play, you look at their, you look at their even strength. You look at yeah. the shots per game. They average 37.3 this year. It's going to be too much for the Capitals. And uh, I think your, your assessment is bang on. I'm going to go with Panthers and five as well. All right. Interesting. Uh, so now we have, uh, so now we go on to the next, uh, series. 
um, where we talk about Toronto and Tampa. Steve kind of alluded to it last week, but this now that it's official, we can officially talk about it. Uh, Toronto has 54 wins and 21 losses and seven OTLs of our overtime losses uh, that reaches to 115 points. Uh, they also have a goal differential of plus 62. There was a brief period where it was like, um, where they were like free falling because I think Jack Campbell was injured, but it looks like Jack Campbell's back. So we'll see how that goes. But um, but yeah, at the moment, um, Toronto's in second place. Um, and then uh, because they get second place and uh, the Atlantic division is very tough, they play the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, of course, they won the last two Stanley Cups, um, and um, and they um, and they went 51, 23, and eight. That puts them at one hundred and ten points. Uh, their goal differential is plus fifty four. It is impressive when you think about it that like Toronto did have a stretch where they were really, really bad, and yet they still finished second. And it's not like it was a weak division because Tampa Bay is in that division, Boston's in that division. Uh, do you? They, they second in the entire league too. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah right. Like you, you finish second in the entire league, and you get Tampa the first round. No big deal. They've only won two Stanley Cups in a row. They're actually third in the entire league, but the most unluckiest top three team in NHL history. They're actually third in the entire league, but yeah, it's. Um, oh, sorry. Yeah, I was looking at goals four. They're second in that. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, uh, they're they're fourth in the league. You're right with 115 yeah. points. Either way, yeah. the unluckiest top five team in NHL oh, history. Yeah, 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 I guess it still applies. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, and we we did do an episode about uh, Austin Matthews and if he was going to reach 65. He did not reach 65 goals, but he did get 60 goals in 73 games. That's pretty good. Um, I think that's like second in the lockout era, but um, but yeah, that that's that's obviously that's pretty good. He finished with 106 points as well. So um, so yeah, I, I I think I I do look forward to watching Matthews play in this series, and I will be watching this even though I don't love either team because uh, I I feel like each each game is going to be very exciting. Um, so uh, what? Uh, yeah. So you have the player to watch in this series. Who is your player to watch? So my player to watch is um, obviously you know you look at Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and the remarkable seasons that they've had, yep. and Tavares and Nylander have been right up there with them, and Morgan Riley has been carrying the load defensively. Um, I'm not going to choose either of those guys. I'm going to choose a guy like Alex Kerfoot. The reason being is, I don't know if you've heard, Brett, Michael Bunting, a key fixture of the Maple Leafs' top six. Remember when I said steal of the offseason? Yep. Biggest bargain signing out of all the NHL teams. He's certainly proven as advertised. But uh, Sheldon Keefe said, quote, he was going to miss some time after a late-season injury. I think it was about a week ago. Um, maybe just maybe just under a week. And uh, that's a tough one for the least because he reminds me of that Zach Hyman player, a guy that is is known for like winning those puck battles, more of a gritty top six guy, but he reaps the rewards because he plays with a lot of talent on his line. And even when he didn't in Arizona, he was pretty good. So if he's going to be missing some playoff action, you're thinking, okay, well, whoever's going to be slotting into the left 
uh, left side of the wing on the top six is going to have to be ready to pick up the slack. And uh, a guy that uh, resembles that to me for the Maple Leafs has been Alex Kerfoot. And he's had a pretty good season uh, to his credit behind Michael Bunting. Just pulling up his uh, stats really quickly here. Alex Kerfoot is seventh in Leaf scoring. Bunting is sixth for the record. Uh, with 13 goals, not uh, nearly as good as the likes of Bunting, who is 23, Tavares with 27, Nylander, Marner, Matthews getting 30-plus. But he has 51 points in 82 games, largely because he has 38 helpers on the campaign. Only one power play point. That's key. Only one power play point, and it's a power play assist. Also, it's three shorthanded points, 117 shots on goal, and he averages 15-13 uh, per game. So less than 16 minutes of ice time. That's uh, 20 seconds per game fewer than Michael Bunting as well. Um, so while people are looking at the likes of Angval and McCabe as being the dark horse players, you really need the top six players that haven't really been asked to pick up the slack all that much to deliver in those situations against a very stacked team that also thrives on depth. You look at the years that Ross Colton and, uh, Corey Perry have had in Tampa Bay. They need a solid contributor on the top six to kind of nullify what Tampa's depth guys are bringing. Because you know when when the chips are down that Tampa's guys are going to be ready to play. In order for the Leafs to really have a chance at doing anything in these playoffs, um, Alex Kerfoot is going to have to step it up. And last year, if you look at uh, the Montreal series, I liked Alex Kerfoot. I liked his production. The problem is Alex Kerfoot is not going up against the Montreal Canadiens. This is a much stiffer opponent, uh, a much a much more challenging test for the Maple Leafs, and he's going to have to be on his A game. Um, I also want to shout out – yeah, no, that's a good choice. Um, I do want to shout out Steven Stamkos um, for his month of April. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if you know this, or I, I think you did mention this to me, but um, I think it was for, like, I think he did become the franchise point leader for Tampa. Uh, but, he did. Um, but he also had a crazy, amazing April. He had 33 points in 16 games. Um, mm -hmm. Like, there, like I'm looking at his game log right here. I, there was only th four times, um, actually, no, five times, when he didn't have more than one point. Um, there are is, also yeah. only eight players in the league to get 100-plus yeah. points, and he was one of them. Yeah, yeah. So he was insane. Uh, he's, you know, I, I think we, we do talk, we did talk about this off the air of, like, underrated, like, if we feel that Sidney Crosby's kind of like an underrated superstar at this point. Uh, Steven Samkos might actually be <laughs> the most underrated superstar. I think it's just because he gets injured a lot. But, um, but, and I, I know, like, technically this wouldn't be a player to watch because he is a really good player uh, that, like, we, we kind of made a stipulation for players to watch are players that are not, like, of course you're going to watch Matthews, of course you're going to watch McDavid and McKinnon and all that, all those guys. But, um, but yeah, Sam Coase has been quietly one of the best players um, in the past 20 years. Um, he's just, uh, he's just a very good player, so... I do want to shout him out. I think, for having I think also team. part of that to your argument, Brett, is Victor Hedman was yeah. also over a point per game, which for a defenseman is absolutely yeah. insane. So you have a career yeah. year from Victor Hedman. 
Nikita Kucherov had a pretty good season. Yeah. Games. He yeah. had he had sixty nine points. So like you you think about those players and then yeah. the likes of Braden Point. Yeah. And I feel like Steven Stamkos is even an afterthought on his own team right, as right. a result of that, not just around the league. Which is crazy because, like, yeah, Victor Hedman was went second overall and Kucherov went, like, in the second round. But, like, mm-hmm. Stamkos had a lot of hype when he was drafted first overall for them. So it's like, you yeah. would think... It's like I was he, there when he yeah. drafted, yeah. yeah there was a lot of hype on him. Yeah, so it's like, um, yeah, you would think that it would be uh, a big... Uh, like a bigger deal or he would be a bigger deal but yeah he's lived up to it of course uh but yeah i guess he does get overshadowed by headman kucherov even braden point to some extent too um i yeah. feel like but yeah uh so yeah uh, steven samkos is really good uh now we go to the big uh series Wait. that everyone's paying attention to oh uh, hold up i don't i don't think before oh, we yeah, do yeah. that i don't think we gave our predictions for this we did not you're right i got Which too excited funny. you're right i got um, too excited yeah, yeah so I'll go, I'll go first really, really quick. Tampa Bay, in terms of experience, in terms of playoff experience, in terms of been there, done that experience, they have a significant edge over the Toronto Maple Leafs. I wonder if this is a scenario where now that the Leafs don't play the Bruins, they can finally go on a run. And also, I feel like it's time, given the fact that Tampa Bay has dealt with a lot of fatigue. It's going to take seven games, but I'm picking the Leafs here. It's going to be right to the end, uh, right down to the wire. Uh, Like I predicted last year, they might need overtime in Game 7 to make it happen. But I have faith Toronto can pull this out. And they also have home ice. That's the other thing. Compared to the other series, they have home ice. They have fans in the stands, which they didn't have against the Habs. And they didn't have against Columbus. You have potentially four games at home to get the job done. Yep. So, uh, I think the ball is in Toronto's court. I'm eager to see what they can do with it, but I'm picking the Leafs in seven. Yeah, I um, I don't know. I, I feel like there's something wrong with the world that, like, I, I also have a similar thought where I feel like this year it's different for Toronto, but I, I do feel that this year is different for Toronto. So, I, I also, like, I guess there is concerns because, like, who knows how consistent Jack Campbell can be during this stretch um and obviously you like it's hard to like bet against the team that has won the playoffs the last two years but at the same time it's like Austin Matthews is on another level um Mitch Marner's on another level um so it's it's definitely um you know they have their defense locked up and all that stuff so I I I yeah, I guess I also will say Toronto in seven. But, like, I, I feel so strange doing that because it's like, this is Toronto we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. you know? And, and so. while we're talking about the players to watch, and obviously we try to avoid talking about the top players because, yeah, yeah no, duh, of course, you'd right, be watching right. up for those guys. For real, Matthews, Marner, Tavares. Um, hopefully Tavares plays the full series this time because, unfortunately, some bad injury luck burned him in the Habs series last yeah. year. Um. The players, when it matters, not in game one or game two, I'm talking game five, game six, game seven, when the series really heightens up, those players have got to deliver. They've got to find a way to deliver or it's going to be more playoff disappointment. Yep. And it's it's something that we've seen out of the Leafs the past couple of years, Matthews and Marner, when it's counted, regardless of how good they've been in the regular season, they need to step up this time. Yep. And I'm confident they will. 
when it matters, they're gonna we're, they're gonna deliver this year. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we now move on to the Metropolitan, also the series that I'm looking the most forward to, uh, for <laughs> obvious reasons. Uh, it's, of course, it's Carolina and Boston. Uh, and yes, you did not you heard that correctly. Boston is apparently in the Metropolitan Division now. Um, there's nothing to do. Also, throughout this time when I was doing prep for this, I was trying to find like a common player that played for both teams, um, uh, but I couldn't do it for every series. Um, so Dougie Hamilton, uh, this is your series for you, yeah. even though he's still in the league. So this is the Dougie Hamilton series. Um, Except that he doesn't uh, play in Carolina; he plays yeah. in New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't. He's still in the league. Um, yeah, the other, so I have, uh, spoiler alert, there's two other uh, series that this applies to, and those two players are no longer in the NHL. But yeah, Dougie Hamilton's the only current player that I've, I uh, could find that uh, played for both of these uh, teams in a series. But of course, I you, you could probably think of other guys eventually. Um, so, uh, yes, so Carolina... They are, uh, they went 54, 20, and 16, uh, which makes them, which gets them to 116 points. Their goal differential was 76, um, and they have won the last six games. Um, and then for Boston, they have, uh, they went 51, 26, and 5, uh, which puts them at 107 points, um, and they uh, have uh, that goal differential is at plus 34. Um, this is an interesting thing where I, I, f- I figured out that, like, obviously, like, we could talk about, well, I'll do the players to watch in a second, but, like, obviously, I feel like Carolina and Boston are in a similar situation because, um, of course, you have Sebastian Ajo, T- Tavo Teravine, and Andrei Sveshnikov, Vincent Trocek. Um, on a, as like a forward group, and they have you know other guys um, that are making noise um, in their on their teams at at that. And then Boston, you have uh, of course the the top line of Bergeron, Marshawn, and Pasternak, and then you have Taylor Hall in the mix um, and as well. But uh, this is the first year for Boston where like you know you could usually like count on Tuka Rask. Um, to to make moves. This will be the first time in a long time that David Krejci won't be a part of the team for their playoffs as well. So that's another thing to consider. Although Eric Halla has been pretty good for them um, with 44 points in 78 games. But yeah, the goal, I'll, I'll get to the goaltending in a second because um, I'll, I'll talk about that during my predictions. But they both have some goaltending issues because these are going to be like new goaltenders um, in their system because it was a it was a down it was Carolina's downfall last year in the playoffs and then they went out and traded all the <laughs> the goalies they had and got new goalies um, in the mix and it turns out that was the right move but um, so I, I would talk in terms of players to watch I would talk about um, Taylor Hall because I, I find him interesting I would talk about of course like Pasternak and Marshawn but they would count as superstars that you should watch, um, and Charlie McAvoy as well. But um, but I'm going to actually go with Jake DeBrusque. Um, and the reason why I'm doing that is because uh, 
there is a uh, well for the first part he um, like towards like the Bruins really started to get going when they moved uh, they uh, started to take out Pasternak from the top line and moved into the second line with Eric Halla and uh, Taylor Hall and that would leave like a right winger for Bergeron and Marchand and insert Jake DeBrusque who had previously uh, requested a trade um, and um, and it's interesting because they didn't end up trading him after all um, but he's actually he actually didn't have a terrible April he had 12 points um, although he did have a like a four point stretch where he a four game stretch where he didn't get any points but uh, there were definitely times when he even got like a game winner and like you know he gets he gets points and sure that's like because he's with Bergeron and Marshawn maybe but um, on the other hand it's like like this is what like the reason why Jake DeBrusque wanted a trade or requested a trade was probably because he wasn't getting enough ice time and what more can you want if you if you have if you're playing with like Bergeron and Marshawn on your line so um and I feel like if Jake DeBrusque is really good and um that will help the Bruins in the long run just from a depth standpoint because Pasternak you know he could go up on the top line um but but yeah if you if you pair him with Taylor Hall that just makes them even stronger because then you the Bruins have two lines that um all offenses or all defenses have to worry about and um, I think Jake DeBrus could end up being like this, like X factor for the Bruins if they are to go far. Um, and yeah, I, you know, it's weird. I kind of had like, I had kind of given up on Jake DeBrusque and I still am not a hundred percent on board with him, but like over the last two months when I've been watching the Bruins play, I'm like, Oh, Jake DeBrus, like he might actually be good to the point where I want to keep him. Like, I know that like, like it's like only a couple of games and I've, I've seen him play for like, you know, uh, he's been in the league for a while now, but like, I, I, I want to keep him. So I, I am curious to see how it does, especially since it's like he publicly, he publicly requested a trade. So I am curious if like, he does have a good playoffs. Is he going to be, um, is he going to be traded? Um, Cause maybe he does want to stay if, if Boston is like, you know, granting his wishes and, and giving him ice time. So, um, so yeah, I, I think that that's my player to watch. Um, and yeah, we'll see. Interesting. Uh, do you have a prediction for the series uh, before I get mine? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I am, I, I do want to talk about the goaltending situation for both teams. Uh, Cause there is a report that Frederick Anderson um, is injured and might not play game one, um, or there's the possibility that he might not play at all. So that should be somewhat that considered. Be yeah, that could be huge. He um, he has been incredible. I would assume he's going to be a Vezina candidate. Um, he has a 217 GAA, a save percentage of 922. He went 35, 14, and 3. Ante Ranta hasn't been bad, of course, uh, but not as good as Frederick Anderson. Um, where he went uh, 15, 5, and 4 in a save percentage of 9, 12, and uh, GAA of 2.45. Um, of course, we know that 
Carolina, like Sebastian Ajo is really good. Uh, Sveshnikov and Teravainen are really good too. But, um, but yeah, it's like, you know, I, I feel like, like that, you know, Frederick Anderson is the guy that's going to put them over the top. Um, but I don't know if you realize this, but the last time the Bruins played the Maple Leafs, that goaltender was Frederick Anderson. Um, so, um, so it's like, like, of course, Frederick Anderson's on a different team now. Um, and this is his best season by far. So, um, so that's something to consider. Of course, there's some changes there, but this could be like Freddie Anderson, uh, working out his demons. And, um, I wouldn't be shocked if Carolina pulls through, uh, but, um, and then on the goaltending side, of course, they, the Bruins don't have Tuka Rask anymore. Uh, but, you, you know, you would think that would sink the ship of the Bruins, but not so fast. Uh, Jeremy Swayman had, uh, he was, as a rookie, he had 20, he went 23-14-3 and three with a save percentage of 9-14 and a 2.41 GAA. And then Linus Allmark, who kind of, um, they both played uh, the equal amount of games, 41 uh, games. So that's interesting. Uh, Linus Allmark had 26, 10, and 2 um, with a 9.17 save percentage and a GAA of 2.45. Of course, that's not like, you know, too good Rask numbers in his prime, but that's decent or better than I thought it was, especially when Allmark uh, had a rough start to the season. Um, so I, I, I think that is a question mark for Boston. I, I'm trying to like avoid being a homer, or but I I can't. I I'm gonna be a homer here. I'm gonna say Boston in seven. Um, even though I'm I'm gonna assume you're gonna go with Carolina. Well, I appreciate the fact that you realize it's gonna take seven games for the Bruins yeah. to potentially right. win this. Series. I I have to I have to be realistic somewhat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm gonna be realistic to say respectfully you're wrong. They won't. Okay. Um. Although I will be happy if your Bruins do prevail. Thank you. Here, here's the thing working against the Bruins. The penalty kill for the Carolina Hurricanes is a stunning 88%. 88% on the nose. If you're wondering, is that first in the NHL? Yes, in fact, it is. Their power play also 22% successful. And I think the big part that you should mention about Carolina is that uh, Antti Ranta and Freddie Anderson won the Jennings Trophy. So they're the best goaltending tandem in the league this year. And part of that is you have stalwarts like Jacob Slavin and Brett Pesce holding the fort. They're the type of guys I think that allows the likes of Ethan Bear and Tony D'Angelo to flourish on the blue line. Like, Dougie Hamilton looked pretty good in New Jersey, but when I, uh, but when I said... Uh, in our breakdown of him going to New Jersey, I said, New Jersey doesn't have the likes of Slavin and Pesce. Is that going to improve Hamilton's overall game? Or is it gonna or is it going to show how good Slavin and Pesce are because maybe Hamilton's numbers regress a little bit? Unfortunately, there was injury uh, in the middle of his start and his finish, so kind of really tough to evaluate Hamilton's season from that perspective. But I mean you look at the devil's defense. It's night and day difference compared to Carolina's. Carolina is clearly better on the defensive side than New Jersey is. Carolina is the reason why you look at 
the numbers of Peter Mrazek in Toronto. You look at the numbers of Alex Ndelkovic in Detroit, Jonathan Bernier in New Jersey. Uh, well, Bernier was only there for a day, so I guess he really doesn't count. But you get the point when you look at all of the goaltenders that have played for the Carolina Hurricanes in the past. They didn't really have, statistically speaking, as great a season this year as they did last year with Carolina. Whereas you look at Freddie Anderson and all of the question marks about his health and uh, the defensive concerns he dealt with in Toronto, those are gone because Carolina plays a well-rounded defensive game. They can kill penalties. And spoiler alert, Boston, they're not going to get all of the looks that they would against Freddie Anderson's Maple Leafs than they perhaps would with Freddie Anderson now in Carolina because probably the defense is going to limit the looks that the Bruins are going to get. And by looks, I mean grade A quality danger zone looks. So for that reason, uh, I will say Boston's goaltending and their depth is going to be enough to force a game six. But uh, I fully expect Carolina to take this series four games to two. Okay, so Carolina in six. We're, I, I hope uh, David Pasternak's listening or any of these Bruins are listening just for motivation. Hey, hey. <laughs> I mean, you know, if it motivates them to beat Carolina, fantastic. But I expect Carolina to win this series. Yep. Um, I've seen some of the score lines against Boston. Mind you, it's before Boston caught fire down the stretch. Carolina's shown they can contain the Bruins and not only contain them, but by the end of the second period, hold a significant edge on them. So yep. I'm largely basing the regular season success on my prediction as well. <laughs> uh, so we now, so I actually, I came up with a player while you were talking uh, for this next series. Um, it's the Carl Hagelin series. Um, so as, uh, <gasps> of course, it's the Rangers and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, the Rangers kind of surprised, although I picked them as the team to watch this season, so I, I deserve credit, and I'll take them. Um, yep. They, uh, they went 52-24 and, uh, and 6, um, and uh, they have a goal differential of plus 47. Um, and then you have Pittsburgh. Um, they, have, they went 46-25 and 11, um, and they have 103 points, um, and their goal differential is plus 43. Um, of course, a big reason why the Rangers were, uh, like, you know, uh, went second play, uh, got the second thing wasn't because Lafreniere and Kako uh, made a big, you know, a, a big impact on their team that I thought they were. Um, it's really because of Igor Shosturkin and Adam Fox, of course, and Panarin and, and Chris Kreider. But uh, Shosturkin um, deserves some praise here. Uh, he went 36 13 and four with a 207 GAA and a save percentage of 935. I I'm pretty sure that's going to he's going to win the Vezina if like if if he doesn't then I don't know what I'll do but uh, but I'll do something. Um, and uh, and yeah uh, and then as for Pittsburgh I, I do want to mention because like this could be the, the deciding factor of the series because uh, then we have Tristan Jari um, he he did pick it up. This year, although that was another like downfall for the Penguins, was Tristan Jari just wasn't up for it. And I guess maybe you can make a case that their defense isn't as good. But um, Tristan Jari went 34, 18, and six with a 9.19 save percentage and a 2.42 GAA. 
So, um, so yeah, that's, that's decent enough, but will it be good enough for the playoffs? I'm not sure. Um, so Steve, who is your player to watch? So my player to watch, um, believe it or not, Brett, is uh, going to be Jacob Truba, defenseman for the New York Rangers. Nice. And obviously everyone's going to talk about uh, the emergence of Keandre Miller as a top four defenseman. Ryan Lindgren's been pretty good. Adam Fox is absolutely sensational. Got to give more love uh, to this uh, Jacob Truba guy. And the reason I say that is because you look at the overall significance, the overall impact uh, that he's brought to this team. He's 27th in the NHL and hits with 207. He also has 177 block shots, which ranks him second behind Braden McNabb and block shots um, league-wide. This isn't just th- this includes forwards. It's not just uh, defensemen. This includes forwards as well. So he's top 30 in hits, uh, second in block shots. On top of that, you're wondering, okay, well, where his point holes? Like, you would think Adam Fox would be lighting it up in the way that he is. There wouldn't be too many uh, opportunities for Chikrin to, or uh, not Chikrin, uh, Truba to, uh, wrong Jacob, to uh, bolster his point totals. Um, yet you'd be wrong. 11 goals, 28 assists, 39 points in 81 games. That's not bad when you consider the amount of all-around ice time that he gets, but... You look at Adam Fox and the prime power play time that he gets. 39 points in 81 games is pretty good for Jacob Truba. And he only has four power play points on the season as well. That should be interesting, uh, an interesting note to keep in mind. Also, 204 shots on goal. Extremely underrated numbers. They're going to need him to be at his best. In terms of a prediction in this series, um, I'll just get this out of the way. Tristan Jerry versus Igor Shajurkin is 100% going to be the fixture of this series. You look at the Rangers, uh, their shooting percentage is better than Pittsburgh's. You look at the amount of shots that Pittsburgh averages per game, it's significantly less than the Rangers to the point where the Rangers actually average more shots against than they do shots for per game. But you look at the playmaking abilities of Panarin, Fox, uh, Zibanejad, and Kreider scoring the goals this year. Mostly it's been Kreider. Also, the depth guys on the Rangers, a lot of that has been because Shazurkin and the defense have allowed the offense to play that type of style. And uh, it's all going to come down to Tristan Jerry and how he performs. Uh, Also, uh, it's going to be interesting how Ryan Reeves fares because he played for the Penguins, currently plays for the Rangers. Um, Pittsburgh has got some grinders, but I mean... You look at a guy like Ryan Reese, if you if you try to play any kind of funny business, especially with your young guys, Ryan Reese is fully capable of making a statement with either his fists or with his physical abilities. So guys like Ryan Reeves are going to be interesting to look out for too. All in all, I think it culminates into a six-game series win by uh, the blue and white, and uh, they'll be advancing to the second round. Pittsburgh going home in the first round yet again. Okay. Uh, yeah, I have, uh, wait, what did you say? Rangers and what? Rangers and six. Six, Rangers and six. I also have Rangers yeah. and six as well. So, um, nice. yeah, yeah I, I don't have too much else to say that you haven't already said. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to really count out Sidney Crosby or Evgeny Malkin because, uh, and, like, and Chris Letang, because they have more experience, a lot more experience than the, this Rangers team do, does. But 
at the same time, I think Gerard Gallant has kind of worked this team into shape. And, you know, it's obviously like Adam Fox is very talented and Artemi Panarin and Zabinajad and Chris Kreider. You want to make the most out of his career season because I don't think he's going to get 15 goals again. Um, so, um, yeah, we'll, maybe they will mark a run and, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um, I uh, While you were talking, I did think of another player for this next series because we're reaching to the central division now um mm -hmm. where it's colorado and nashville um and this might <laughs> this, this might because you kind of think of this player as i don't know if i i feel like i should do this guessing game so this guy played for colorado and nashville but uh i'll tell you this when when i say this player's name i'll give you a hint you think of the anaheim ducks uh, that he played most of his career for. Mm. Anaheim Ducks, eh? Yep. Does he also have a pass with uh, Nashville? Yeah. I was thinking Josh Manson, but I don't think he played for Nashville. No, no. I'll just tell you. It's uh, Paul Correa. Yeah, yeah. Paul Correa. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, okay. Uh, I, I think there there was one year where like Colorado was trying to build a super team and they got like Paul Correa. Yeah. And I think like Timo Solani was also there too. They got Solani there too. Yeah. 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 But then that was like, 0304. Yeah. I, I, I think it was 0304 when they did that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I I didn't even realize that he played for Nashville, but like I was like I had like a a weird deja vu. It's like because I was trying to think of like even like an obscure player. <laughs> I was just thinking like. I remember Paul Correa played for Colorado, but did he play for Nashville? And then I was like, oh, I guess he did play for Nashville. So I doubted my own yeah, abilities. Not only did and, he yeah. play for Nashville, not only did he play for Nashville, but up until Roman yeah. Yossi set the franchise points record, people yeah. realized, wait, Paul Correa previously held that record for most points in a season? Damn. Oh, I didn't even realize that. Wow. Yeah. 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 He was that good. Yep. Uh, since we are doing that, because we did do a series on both, Kale McCarr and um, and Roman Yossi and like wondering if Yossi was going to reach 100 points and Kale McCarr was going to get to 30 goals. Uh, neither one did that, but they were very, very close. Uh, Kale McCarr had 28 goals and Yossi had 96 points. I, you know, I you can make a case that Roman Yossi could should win the Hart Trophy just based off of that because like the next closest yeah, guy is Matthew Shane, eighty six points. He's a defenseman, um, and like the fact that like Nashville would be nowhere near the playoffs without him. So I I would give my vote to Roman Yossi, but I don't think he's going to win it. Um, anyways. I would also give an argument to UC Saros for the same reason because yeah. I think the Preds wouldn't be anywhere as good without him. Yeah, I guess that's that's fair. Yeah, maybe. But like, I guess that's like, that's like saying like, if you took Saros out, like they wouldn't make the playoffs. But then if you take Roman Yossi, I don't think they wouldn't make the playoffs either. So I guess they're yeah, both so they are kind equally of, important. Yeah, but like they both hurt each other for their hard trophy uh, yeah. cases. But yeah, yeah, I guess you're not wrong. But yeah, I guess so. But we'll see. Well, what should be interesting though is that it looks like uh, a UC Saros is out. For Nashville, it's unclear if he can mm -hmm. play at all during this series, but I think he's going to be out for game one. 
Uh, and, you know, Nashville is already um, underdog, massive underdogs to begin with. But, yeah, if they don't have UC Saros, then, yeah, good luck playing against this Colorado team. Um, of course, like, you know, they do have David Riddick, but he has a 3.57 GAA um, and an 8.86 save percentage. So, yeah, that's not, that's not going to cut it for Colorado. Uh, against Colorado. He also has uh, an unorthodox way of trying to make saves, yeah. um, as uh, Brett showed me in the email chat. Uh, oh, yeah. Lost his footing and uh, collided into the top part of the crossbar. To be, to be fair, that was a that was a fluke play, but yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll but see. I mean, it's yeah. just like when when you when you take a look at the national prayers, it's just like okay, who's our option outside yeah. of Saros? And you look at that and just like, and we're going up against Colorado in the first round, yeah. eh? Yeah, 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 lovely. Right, right. Um, but yeah, kudos for Nashville for even making the playoffs because we all—I yeah. at least I thought that they weren't. You know, they were going to be in a rebuild year, but uh, yeah, good, for, good for Nashville for doing it all. Uh, Colorado has—I um, forgot to lead the show though. With Colorado had uh, fifty-six wins. Uh, they went fifty-six, nineteen, and seven. That's good for one hundred and nineteen points. Their G uh, goal differential is seventy-eight. Um, plus 78 um, and the Nashville Predators have uh, went uh, 45 30 and 7 uh, that's 97 points uh, they actually would have gone in the first wild card but they lost to Arizona um, I believe it was like 8 to 2 um, so in it's their like, final game oh, 5 to 4 sorry but that's, yeah, still, four, yeah. Yeah, that's still a lot for, for Nashville um, I, against against Arizona, but um, but yeah. And also, so, this series against Calgary, it, yeah. they could have won the first wild card spot and taken Calgary. Instead, they get Colorado, right, which right. is probably a worse matchup for them. If I'm being honest. Yeah, yeah, it is. But Calgary's no like slouch either. They probably would have. Oh yeah, no, for too, sure. Like, yeah, for sure, no question. But Calgary also doesn't have uh, Kale McCarr on their defense. Right, right, right. But Nashville does have Roman Yossi. Um, Yep, so, um, so yeah. Anyways, uh, in terms of my player to watch, um, uh, I you know there's a lot of players to watch on both teams that of course are like superstars. Um, I would go with I'm gonna go with Nazem Kadri as a player to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, because we don't get to watch him in the playoffs, right? That's why. Well. Yeah, part of it. Uh, I think it's like, you know, because I think before the season, we all thought of Kadri as like what you're referring to. He has been suspended for hitting guys, um, in a, uh, or making illegal hits and boarding players when he shouldn't. And it cost the team the series in some cases for, for Toronto. It's a big reason why he was even traded out of Toronto in the first place was just because he, um, he kept on being a dumbass. Um, in the playoffs um, but then um, yeah then he goes to Colorado he does he does um, uh, play enough games he does play 15 games in the postseason his first year in Colorado um, and has 18 points in 15 games but then then uh, this past year he makes a dumb thing he does another dumb thing I even forget it at this point because he's done it so often it was a hit on Justin Falk wasn't right. it yeah yeah that, that sounds familiar um, and, and he got, uh, I think it was eight games. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he, uh, even though it was eight games and Colorado, it's a good team and they could live without him. But, um, 
that yeah he uh, he didn't uh, last that suspension either. Um, what would, what's interesting about this year is this this season is by far his best year. Um, yep. There he has eighty seven points in seventy one games. Um, even more impressive was when uh, the, like early on in the season uh, McKinnon uh, got injured. Um, and I had thought like, oh, this must mean that Colorado is going to be in bad shape, and uh, like you know maybe they're not even going to make the playoffs because they don't have McKinnon. Like you know, of course, like I mean that's the beauty of Colorado is that they have so much depth and that they can overcome even a guy like McKinnon to be out so long. But but what what ended up happening was Kadri uh, filled his role pretty nicely, which is uh, not an easy feat, of course. And, uh, yeah, so he had 87 points in 71 games. So I am curious about, like, I feel like he's going to be the, the true X factor here, where if he does some dumbass thing, this could cost Colorado this uh, the playoffs, which is something that they've been working for for the, for the longest time, of course. And then um, if he doesn't, then he could be an integral part for this Colorado team. And, um, and yeah, I think uh, I, I, you know... I think I've come around with it. Maybe it's a lot easier now that he's not like <laughs> torturing my Bruins, but um, but I, I I think Kadri do, will will at least last out of uh, like this this series, and he's going to be a player to watch because of course he is very good. He had a more than a point per game player this a point point per game season this year, but. Um, yeah, we'll just be curious to see how he does. He's also a, a pending free agent, so I am curious to see how he, like that plays into it uh, next season. Like, how how is like can Colorado even afford him? Um, and um, and if he just wants to stay there. Um, and yeah, so this might be the last time that we see Kadri on this team. Um, and yeah, I, I think I think he'll he won't be a stupid person, but we'll see. Uh, you never know because this is like you know it's it's that old saying fool me once uh, shame on you fool me twice shame on yeah. me this is going to be fool me three four times shame on like the world <laughs> I guess um, shame, on, shame on us all shame yeah. on us all yeah so so it is definitely possible um, yeah uh, before I get to the predictions do you have anything else to talk about on the series I'm just gonna get my prediction right away. Okay. Um, Without Saros Nationals mincemeat, I don't care how good Philip Forsberg is. I don't care how good Matt Duchesne or Ryan Johansson is. I don't care if uh, Roman Yossi averages two points per game. Uh, I don't have faith in David Riddick and Connor Ingram uh, as their goalie tandem. Just too much playoff inexperience there. Granted, Saros didn't have much, but against the high-octane Hurricanes offense, he at least got Nashville to overtime in a lot of the games and gave him a fighting chance each time to win. Um, I don't think I've seen enough of David Rick this year to kind of instill a degree of confidence where, yeah, Nashville can probably take this to at least game six. I think Nashville's going to win a game just for pride's sake, but uh, they're out in five games. Uh, Colorado's just too much. You have guys like Andre Burakovsky in the mix, Devin Taves at the back end, who's having a monster season in his own right. Yeah. It's too much for Nashville to overcome. They're going to give it all they have, but it's going to be nowhere near close. Uh, so yeah, adds in five. Yeah, I I hate a say like saying a team's going to sweep, but I think if like of all these series, I think this is the closest one that they're like 
Yeah, the closest thing to a sweep, you're not wrong. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I also have Colorado in five. By the way, um, we've only, <laughs> this, this shows how in sync we are. Um, that uh, so far we have the same predictions and the games um, in the five uh, or four of the five series that we've covered so far. So uh, that just shows how, how close we are together uh, there. Now the, question, now, now, the question is, if you think it's going to be a sweep, Brett, do you think it's going to be a situation like Chicago when they lost to Nashville where they only scored three goals in four games? Like, how many goals do you think Nashville gets against Colorado? Oh, interesting question. Um, in a, in a four-game sweep, how many do you think they get? Well, so the thing with Colorado... I'd say, I'd say seven. I'd say seven in a four-game sweep. Seven in a four-game sweep. So are you actually yeah. calling it a sweep? <laughs> if if it were to happen, i say seven goals in four games. Okay. But I'm I writing this down, gonna, so I'm going to hold you to this. At least game five, and then they lose. I'm going to hold you to this, so I'm writing this down. Um, <laughs> if yeah. it's a sweep, I still think it's five games, but if it's a sweep, Nashville gets seven goals. Okay. Um. In, uh, so yeah, seven goals uh, for Nashville in a Colorado sweep. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I I think like you know there are like the thing with Colorado and I guess spoiler alert they are my Stanley Cup Finals are champions. Um, but uh, like the thing that could be their downfall is Darcy Kemper. Um, so yeah. So I like you know maybe he does falter. Um, in the first game or you know if uh, or during this series and, and and they are definitely in trouble but um but yeah I, I i i guess i i don't i don't know if it's a sweep because it's like it's it's so like tough to really gauge that i to the point where i can't even guess if they're like how many goals nashville is gonna get if there is a sweep so um so yeah i i'm, I'm gonna avoid the question then um, we'll move on here. Uh, the next, uh, the next series, we did talk about this last week, but, um, it bears repeating. Uh, we're going to go with Minnesota and St. Louis. Uh, Minnesota, uh, finished, uh, 53, 22 and seven. That's 113 points. Uh, they also have a goal differential of plus 57. Uh, St. Louis has, uh, um, is the next team there. They have uh, 49, they won 49, 22, and 11. They finished with 109 points. They have a plus 69. Uh, that's pretty nice as a goal differential. Um, yeah, this is like, a, I feel like this isn't like a talked about series. Maybe it's partially because we haven't really, you know, we already know this. We knew this matchup was going to happen for a while now, but um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting. Anyways, who is fire. your, sorry about that. Who is your player to watch? So my player to watch is going to be on the Minnesota Wilds. Uh, by the way, it should be noted, Minnesota scored 305 goals. People say their team is boring. I'm curious to know if that's a franchise record for most goals scored in a season by yeah. a Minnesota team. I will, Might be something well, to check in future shows, but I feel that's a lot for them. I, I will say on that, I, I feel like, yes, I, I know that people did talk about Minnesota being boring, 
But um, but I don't think they were saying that after Kaprizov joined the. Joined yeah, the no, no, this pre Kaprizov. Like okay, they're obviously yeah. a different beast. So I, I, I don't Kaprizov, think I, I don't think anyone's calling them boring anymore, especially yeah, now like, that they have Fiala. You, you look at thing. you look at Kaprizov this year. Yeah. Like you thought last year was good. Yeah. Like we're talking 108 points in 81 games, right. 31 power play points, 289 shots on goal, Mister Everything for that offense. But I think people are are kind of sleeping on Matthew Boldy a little bit. I know as a rookie, um, you're, you're probably looking at the likes of Kevin Fiala and Matt Ducarello and Ryan Hartman. And while they have had pretty solid seasons, and Joel Eriksson-Eck has also been a good two-way guy, Frederick Goudreau has also stepped up to the plate, Marcus Foligno with 23 goals. Yeah. Matthew Boldy has 15 goals in 47 games as a rookie on 113 shots. He's only averaged 15-23 per game, has 10 of his 39 points on the power play. 39 points in 47 games, plus 17 rating. The reason why I picked Matthew Boldy over all the other guys is you look at guys like Cam Ward and Jordan Bennington, and obviously I know they're not forwards like Matt Boldy is. But I think part of the reason why they did so well in their first taste of playoff success it's because I don't think teams really got a book on them. They didn't really get enough time to figure out, okay, how do we solve this guy? And I think Matthew Boldy, while everyone's paying attention on St. Louis to, okay, we got to cover Kevin Fiala and obviously Kaprizov, and also Zuccarello and Hartman are guys you can't really leave alone in front of the net. I think at times they're going to forget about Matthew Boldy because of all that talent, or they're going to have a tough time contain, containing him because they don't really have a book on how to shut him down. And I think that's going to play to his advantage. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, okay, who do you have in the series? All right, well, I'm picking the boring Minnesota Wild to win. It's <laughs> going to take seven games. It's definitely going to be a hard-fought series. It's going to be an entertaining series. They have home ice advantage, which I think is going to play into their favor. And this is the main reason why I am picking Minnesota over St. Louis, despite the fact, and I will admit, that in terms of their scoring depth, St. Louis is scarier than Minnesota. But if you need a big save, you're likely to get it from Minnesota than you are St. Louis. And I'm not saying that Billy Huso's numbers are a mirage. I really think he's a good goalie. He's had a great year. I think he's capable of having several other great seasons. But I just merely look at the goaltending situation behind the starters. If Cam Talbot struggles, you go to Marc-Andre Fleury. If Marc-Andre Fleury struggles, you go to Cam Talbot. And I'm confident that either guy can step into a playoff game and get wins for Minnesota right now. If Billy Huso Huso struggles and the Wild get to him and they take him out of the game, how confident, if you're a Blues fan, are you in Jordan Bennington right now? I'm not. Yeah. I have him on my fantasy team, and I benched him for the final two to three weeks because they were playing Billy Huso. He was getting them results. And Jordan Bennington, I'll be perfectly honest, they, for whatever reason, this St. Louis Blues team seems to play better with Huso in the net than with Bennington. Maybe it's a self-confidence in the goaltending, but... I just think the Blues are a different team with Huso in the net as opposed to Bennington. If they get Huso out of that net and on the bench and St. Louis has to roll with Bennington, 
if they even get like two of those games, Minnesota is halfway to the second round already. Yeah. So for that reason, Minnesota is going to prevail in seven games, and it's largely because once or twice they're going to get to Huso, and Jordan Bennington's going to have to come off the bench mid-game. And right now, doesn't mean he won't have it, and like his career's in the dumps, but. A struggling Jordan Bennington that hasn't won since Game 7 of the 2019 playoffs. I'm, I'm really, really not ready to put my faith in him until until he proves it. It's it's ridiculous now that you mention it, because now I'm like, like, I have PTSD of that 2019 series. Um, it's like, I can't believe, like, you know, it's one thing to lose to, like, you know, in the years past when the Bruins have lost, they've lost to, like, Carey Price or Martin Brodeur, um, like at least that that's respectable. But like we lost to Jordan Biddington, like I don't know, it's just crazy. To to, yeah. to be fair though, Corey Crawford. I think if you had to pick a player in NHL in the NHL right now that for whatever reason has been negatively impacted by the COVID shutdown, I think Biddington's at the top of the list. Yeah. He's not the same goalie as he was before that before that stoppage in uh, March of 2020. True. For whatever true. reason, yeah, it, he was bad in the bubble too. Goal- yeah, he was bad in the bubble as well. Um, yeah. I yeah. So wait, what did you say? You said Minnesota in seven games. In seven. Minnesota okay. in seven. It goes the distance, but Minnesota is going to get to Houston at least once, maybe twice, and that'll be the difference. So I'm actually uh, like, although I do have more faith in Huso than uh, than you do, but I, I do think that Minnesota's going to win this in six, not seven. Uh, oh! So, so, you yeah. trust Bennington even less! Yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Maybe, maybe that's first. another Maybe that's another Homer thing. I'm just biased against Jordan Bennington, but... <laughs> you just want the Blues to suffer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take that, Tory Krug. That's what you get for exactly. leaving us. Well, I, I love Tory Krug, so I, I, that's not fair, but... Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's Spinnington that I have an issue with, and and yeah, yeah he uh, he's already won a cup. He doesn't care anymore. Um, basically, this next series is uh, Calgary versus Dallas, which is also I don't know if you're going this route. Do you have a guess on a player that this could be? That... <laughs> um. That has played for Dallas and Calgary. Yeah. Well, there's actually two that are now because they did make a famous trade um, a long time before. Now we that were you born. said the famous trade, it's yeah. Joe Newendike and Jerome McGinley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I did say uh, Joe uh, Jerome McGinley uh, originally as this is their series, but I actually I don't think McGinley even played a game for Dallas. Well, uh, that's that's so. the thing because he was yeah. drafted by Dallas, but did he yeah. actually play a game? No, he didn't. He, did he not, never right. played for Dallas in his career. No. So I guess so, this is more so the Joe Newman yeah, series. series. But uh, but I, I I don't know. Yeah, I guess Dallas doesn't really take credit for Jerome McGinley. They're probably upset. By that, but also uh, a guy that maybe you don't remember playing on the Calgary Flames, uh, but you do remember playing on the Dallas Stars. Brett Hall. Oh yeah, good. good Brett concept. Hall was drafted as a six-round pick by Calgary in '84, and he played two years in Calgary before he was moved to St. Louis. Forgot about that. And then eventually found his way out of Dallas. Which is funny because like Brett Hall was the, the original reason why I even joined hockey or yeah, exactly. followed hockey. So I should have known that, but I didn't. Um, that, yeah, I forgot about that. Um, yeah. Anyways, 
uh, going to current times here. Yeah. Um, the uh, Calgary Flames finished the year 50, 21, and 11. They have 111 points in that stead. Dallas ended up with 46 wins, uh, 30 losses, and 6 OTLs. Uh, they also had 98 points as well. Um, I um, I couldn't really decide on a player to watch on either on on either. T- Actually, okay, I am gonna do another audible because it was going to be Jason Robertson because I am curious to see how he does. But I think you can make a case that he is like a superstar. He has 79 mm-hmm. points in 74 games. So I'm actually gonna go with Noah Hannafin. Um, mm on Calgary. Um, I don't know if you realize this, but uh, actually, I, I was looking at Rasmus Anderson, but uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but Noah Hannafin He's right up there too, yeah, though. Rasmus Anderson does have 50 points in 82 games, but Noah Hannafin, um, like he's slowly been uh, picking up the points as well. Uh, he had 48 points in 81 games uh, this past year, which is uh, not too bad. Uh, for reference, uh, his best year before that was uh, in 2018-2019 uh, for Flames, his first year there, where he had 33 points um, in 80 games. So, like, 48 points is um, it's kind of, like, not expected for, out of this guy. Um, what's interesting is, and because uh, I watched him play for BC, uh, this is kind of a side tangent here, but um, I remember watching him play for BC um, during the Beanpot, and this was the year that Jack Eichel was playing for BU. Um, so I was originally watching uh, Jack Eichel to see how he was playing. And then I was seeing, like, then I noticed, like, oh, Noah Hannafin. Like, I heard good things about him as well. And I was just like, oh, this guy's actually, like, he he was, like, outplaying Jack Eichel. I know it's, like, defense and forwards and stuff. But, like, Noah Hannafin, like, did have a lot of, like, points or offensive upside in college so it is interesting that this is like his sixth year into the league and he's now like um it seems like he's he's pulling up some offensive numbers right now which is just very interesting uh to to witness um and like even to the point where i know it's against seattle but he had like a four assists against seattle um one night um and then you know when you look at his game logs you like he had w- one goal and one assist against seattle the following or uh, on april 12th excuse me um and then like you know then he had like a, a four game point streak against arizona chicago nashville and dallas although now that i'm saying it it's like a lot of it whoops sorry i'm i was watching i guess there's an ad that pops up with sound uh which is annoying yeah. But, um, but yeah, now that I'm, like, mentioning the teams that he did that against, it was just, those aren't, like, great teams. So I am curious to see how he's going to do it with, like, actual playoff teams um, during this time. Um, so, so, yeah, that will definitely be um, an interesting matchup uh, for, for Calgary. Um, and then I, I guess I'll get into... Um, what I think they're going to do. I feel like this is going to be a tough series. Um, like Dallas isn't like, uh, is no slouches. I feel like they really started to pick up once Jake Edinger got into the mix and J Rob got healthy. Um, so, so that was like, you know, two months into the season and they were already in poor form. 
Um, and of course, the Central Division is like a very tough division as well. So it's like they had to be fighting their way through. But then, you know, like I feel like J Rob and Rube Hints have incredible chemistry together. Um, and then, of course, I can't like mention enough that Joe Pavelski and um, Joe Pavelski had an incredible year this year. Um, kind of, I mean, we all, we all knew Joe Pavelski was very good, but like, almost reminds me of like a Chris Kreider situation too, because it's like Joe Pavelski is like what, like in his mid thirties right now, and he has eighty one points in eighty two games. I don't think that's going to happen again. Um, as much as I love Joe Pavelski, um, but yeah, I don't think that's going to happen again. Um, and and then as for Calgary, we all kind of had expect like we didn't really know what to expect out of like, because there's Daryl Sutter. Uh, this is probably Johnny Gaudreau's last year in Calgary uh, this whole season and then uh, you know Markstrom didn't really have a great year last year so like who what's to expect out of him but then he goes out and gets like a 222 GAA and a save percentage of 922 and then Johnny Gaudreau has a career year with 115 points Matthew Kachuk also gets in the mix with 104 points um, also not to mention the fact that like a lot of these Flames players played all 82 games, uh, which is um, which is kind of a, a not an easy feat to begin with, because usually there's a, at least a couple of injuries on every team at this point. But um, but yeah, most of their guys have played 82 games, and that um, that has definitely helped them out a lot. Um, I so I have. I, I do think it's going to be a tough series, but I do think that it's going to be Calgary that's going to win it in the end. I have Calgary in six. Calgary in six. Interesting. It should be noted, by the way, Johnny Gaudreau, not only does he have 150 point, 115 points in 82 games, also a plus 64. Yep. And Matthew Kachuk is a plus 57. Yep. In fact, there are, let's see, 17 Calgary Flames with, a, with at least a plus one. Yep. There are three at zero, and there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight players that are minuses, one of which is Sean Monaghan, who is dead last on the team with a minus 15 rating, That's and nice. he's not playing in the playoffs this year. Right. In fact, uh, there are actually eight players with a plus 20 or better on Calgary. That's how good they've been this year, and it just goes to show you the improvements they've made with Daryl Sutter at the helm as coach. Yeah. Which I feel like people were skeptical that uh, Daryl Sutter could get this kind of magic out of Calgary because may- maybe he was he was uh, looked at as one of those coaches where the game passed him by and his tactics back then aren't working now and probably won't work as well as they did back then. But uh, yeah, this this team has looked pretty good and obviously they have a goaltending to do it. Dan Ladder in the games that he's played this year has also looked pretty good. And uh, I'd say Calgary's goalie depth is also stronger than Dallas's. The thing about Dallas is they've gotten a lot of puck luck when it matters. Um, you look at their regulation wins, um, and you compare that to their wins that they've gotten in overtime and shootout. I think it, um, I think heading into the final two weeks of the season, they had 30 regulation wins. And then if you count the overtime and shootout wins, it's 44 which means 14 of their wins came either in overtime or the shootout. So they're getting those one-goal victories when it matters. 
and I think in the playoffs, that's definitely going to be important uh, considering their luck in overtime. So for that reason, I actually think this series is going to go the distance. However, Calgary's got a lot of firepower. Um, obviously, Kachuk and Gaudreau have been good, but Elias Lindholm has also scored 42 goals and 82 points. He's looked pretty good, even though he's cooled off in the second half. Andrew Mangiapane is still a 30-goal scorer. He has 35 goals in 82 games, and he's averaged uh, less than 16 minutes per game. You still have Tyler Toffoli in the mix. You have Blake Coleman in the mix as well. Uh, you have defensive depth in the form of Nikita Zadorov, Oliver Shillington, um, also Erica Branson, who's looked surprisingly good in the limited roles that he's played. Even Michael Stone, with six points and only 11 games played, Looks like a pretty good uh, defensive guy for them. Uh, so, yeah, I think Calgary wins in seven games, but the Stars are going to make it tough. They're going to force the distance. Ettinger's going to have to be at his best. And I do think the usual suspects on Dallas, like Rupe Hintz, like Jason Robertson, Miro Heiskanen, uh, perhaps, uh, they're going to continue to elevate their status in the National Hockey League. It's just not going to be enough to take down Calgary. So, yeah, yeah Flames in seven. Okay, interesting. Um, I also just noticed this, that um, Goudreau, Kachuk, and Elias Indolm all had more than 40 goals this year, um, which is yeah. impressive because Goudreau is more known as like a playmaker type, and he did have 75 assists, to be fair, but not really known for his goal-scoring abilities. But, yeah, that, that's also obviously pretty good. So um, He also – all of them also had at least 230 shots, What's yes. also interesting is that Mikhail Backlund had 214 and Blake Coleman had 212. Do they all and those guys weren't averaging 18 minutes per game like uh, the other three guys we just mentioned. Do they all play on the same line? Because now I'm wondering how like uh, line reliant they are. Are they like one that's just like a one line team, basically? Well, let's take take a look at uh, the latest combinations uh, from Daily Faceoff. Uh, that'll yeah. give us a better picture of things. Uh, Goudreau yeah. is obviously on the left wing on top line with Lindholm centering, uh, Kachuk on the right side. You have uh, Backlund oh, yeah. centering Giapani and Toffoli on the second line. Um, you have Blake Coleman on the third line with Yarncroak as the center, Dylan Dubé on the left side. Um, and then yeah. uh, the fourth line is Rizicka centering uh, Brett Ritchie and Milan Lucic, right to left. Yeah, so I, I was right. So I guess the, all three of them are on the top line, which is... I guess I could see that being like a downfall for them, not to take anything away from Angiapani or Backlund or Toffoli, but um, but yeah, maybe they are like a one-line team. We'll see. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, we now, this might be uh, the most obvious former player that uh, is shared. I think you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> Wayne Gretzky. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. That was actually what gave I'm me the idea. I'm actually pretty yeah. certain they haven't faced each other since Gretzky was in the league. I think it was in the early 90s the last time these two played. Interesting. Was, did, uh, but Gretzky was on the Rangers uh, in the 90s. Uh, no, well, yeah, he was, but in the early stages of the 90s, he was still in Los Angeles. Oh, when yeah. the Kings made it to the finals in 93, he was the key fixture of that team. But did they play the Oilers? So I think it was Oilers? like 91, 92 was the last time these two squared in the playoffs. But did they play the Gretzky Oilers? Did they play the Oilers? Huh? Did they yeah, they played the oh, Oilers. They yeah, there the were a couple of times when Gretzky oh, yeah, was yeah, yeah. with the Kings that that they played against Edmonton. That was a dumb question because you did mention that. That's why you brought it up <laughs> to begin with. Um, anyways, Edmonton has uh, 49, uh, went 49, 27, and 6 with 104 points. 
Um, they have a plus 38 goal differential. Um, oh, another thing for Dallas, I just noticed that Dallas is the only team in the playoffs that had a negative goal differential. They had a minus eight goal differential, whereas every yep. other uh, team. I know we were talking about how like Vegas, uh, the Kings had a crazy goal differential as well, but yeah, they managed to get more goals than not goals um, or goals against. Mm. So. So they, uh, they, <laughs> there goes the worst. Still at plus three, but so that's not a lot compared to the other teams. But uh, you know, it's better than the stars. Um, but yeah, anyways, their record was 44, 27, and 11. That put the speaking of Kretzky, that's 99 points. Um, so, um, yeah, the uh, this is kind of an interesting thing because like Edmonton was kind of like the favorite. Of course, they have McDavid, Drysaddle, the two best players in the league. Or I guess arguably for Tricycle as the number two, but uh, uh, more or less we all know that. But I guess a big thing for Edmonton this this playoffs is their goaltending. Um, Mike Smith has been kind of shaky, but he has started to figure things out towards the end of the season, um, where he had a nine fifteen save percentage and a two point eight one GAA, um, and he went sixteen nine and two. Miko Koskinen though hasn't been that great. 903 save percentage and a 310 GAA. He went 27, 12, and 4. I guess the record's not that bad, but um, but the GAA and save percentage aren't good. Um, and LA, for some reason, I mean, kudos to them. They, they made it through. Um, but uh, yeah, the, it's it's kind of interesting because it's not like, um, you know, you would I would have thought that Cal Peterson would have taken over, but he had an 895 save percentage and a GAA of 2.9. It seems like John Qu- Qu- Jonathan Quick has taken up on a, like a renaissance again. Uh, 2.59 GAA and a save percentage of 9.10. That's not great for Jonathan Quick or what like the Jonathan Quick of old, but still not bad. So, um, or that's good enough for the playoffs. You know, weak uh, division, but we'll see who is your player to watch. Well, he wasn't uh, involved in uh, last year's uh, series um, with uh, McDavid. He wasn't on uh, the Winnipeg Jets tasked with shutting down the Oilers' big guns. But um, he has shown that he can previously shut down or at least contain superstar talent, and that's Philip Deneau. Philip Deneau did a pretty good job against Toronto with Austin Matthews and uh, William Nylander and Mitch Marner and all those guys. He didn't single-handedly change the outcome in Montreal's favor, but he played a pivotal role in Montreal's comeback of uh, their series against the Leafs down 3-1. They were able to steal one in Game 5, then uh, win in overtime again in Game 6, then they get to Game 7, and the top guns on the Leafs were non-existent when it mattered. And Deneau was a big part of that. And the key thing about Philip Deneau this year is his numbers have actually looked pretty good. Offensively speaking, he has 27 goals, 51 points, and 79 games. Obviously more of a shutdown guy, so the four power play points, the two power play goals aren't all that shocking. He also has three shorthanded points, 194 shots on goal, and he's also averaged 18 minutes and eight seconds per game. Now... Will this matter in the grand scheme of things against the Edmonton Oilers? You think it wouldn't because, I mean, the Edmonton Oilers have Conn McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, and they also have Ryan Nugent Hopkins, and now they have Jesse Pugliarvi 
at times uh, starting to get the leg up on the competition. And you have Zach Hyman in the mix that's uh, going to get into the corners and win lots of puck battles. And maybe you have Kaylor Yamamoto and the depth guys showing up. And you have Evan Bouchard stepping it up on defense. And Tyson Berry is still capable of producing at Tyson Berry levels. And you have that experience with Duncan Keith on the back end. And you're, you don't have to worry about, you know, prime Dustin Brown, who has already made it clear this series and this season. Probably going to be his last because he's going to retire at the, uh, the end of the season. Great NHL career for Dustin Brown. You have a feeling that he wants another shot at the Stanley Cup. Similar to Ante Kopitar, you don't know how many more years he's going to have. Everything favors Edmonton in this series, you would think. But I go back to how the Oilers utilized Darnell Nurse when their season was on the line and how little they utilized uh, their bottom two defenders who, again, I can't emphasize this enough. Darnell Nurse played like two-thirds of, it felt like two-thirds of an elimination game against Winnipeg and they had two defensemen. The Edmonton Oilers had two defensemen that didn't even play 20 minutes the entire game in a triple overtime finish. Like, that, that is astounding to me. And you're thinking, well, it can't possibly burn them again. And then you remember it's the Edmonton Oilers, the same team that had a chance to beat the Chicago Blackhawks in the bubble, came up short in a close series. There were a couple of one-goal games there. They didn't even take that series to the distance. They didn't even take it to five games. They lost 3-1, to one, and they were out before the actual playoffs even began. And then they underperform against the Jets, don't even win a playoff series. They're going to force it to seven games because uh, the LA Kings are, again, one of those outliers that probably a lot of people didn't think would be where they are right now. But you know what? They are a hardworking team. They are capable of playing a tight hockey game against Edmonton. They're capable of taking this series. They will force this series to seven games, and they are going to win. Oh, so you have Edmonton in, in seven. Okay. No, LA in oh. seven. Wow. Edmonton's done again in round one. Wow. I'm not buying what the Oilers are selling, not in the slightest. And their inability to improve in the areas that matter most will be their downfall. Wow. I had just assumed, like, I, like I've been writing down your predictions, so I had just assumed that you were going to, like, go with Edmonton because, like, considering that you don't like, um, like, you, you kept on talking about the goal differential for LA and all that stuff, but... Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm breaking down all the reasons why the Oilers have every opportunity to win this series, but they're not going to. Yeah, their 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 weaknesses are strong enough to cost them another spot in the second round. Yeah, I, I yeah, I guess you know that is a interesting point. I do. This, yeah. this is going to be my bold playoff prediction, right? Yeah, here, I guess is clearly. that the Oilers are out in the first again. Clearly, yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's, I mean, the, the goaltending is a concern, but I don't know. I feel like just like Florida and just like, um, there's another team that has, uh, track, uh, or I guess Colorado, um, like I don't think their goaltending is going to be the, da their downfall this, this around. Um, but, uh, it may come back to bite them, but I, I don't think LA has enough to do it this year. I think they got lucky that they're in a really weak division. Um, and, uh, yeah, they just so happened to be um, in third place um, in there. The other the other thing I will say so. that works against them is that Drew Doughty is going to be out for the entire playoffs, yep. and that's hurt them. 
But they've had to deal without Drew Doughty for a good chunk of the year. He's only played 39 games this year. Yeah, that's fair. So that's fair. if they're able to play the Oilers close without Drew Doughty, which they have shown in the regular season, they can. I'm, I'm convinced the Kings have a chance. Yeah, the Kings do have a chance. I... Um, and and you do bring up a good point about Deneau. Uh He is. We know that he's like a good two-way forward, and he has picked it up in the offensive side of things. I think this means that he's going to win the Selkie, even though he's not. Uh, it shouldn't be because of Bergeron. But um, but yeah, I, I I know what you're saying. I I'm still gonna go with Edmonton. Um, I I feel like. Uh, it's just like hard to count out McDavid and Drysaddle. I know that they they've never gone past the first round, um, in the playoffs. But um, but yeah, I I, I feel like the this Edmonton team. I, I still have faith that Edmonton's gonna pull it out. So I have Edmonton in six, um, here. But I I do I I understand your your restraints and it is a wild take. So we'll we'll see. And at least we we differed on on something. So that that's fine. Yeah. Um, as for the Stanley Cup Finals, um, we'll do the Stanley Cup Finals and who we think is going to win. Um, I'm going to stick with my original preseason prediction. Um, I so I have call I had Colorado and Toronto as my preseason prediction, um, and yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with it. Uh, I know Toronto. I I feel like you know it's, it's always risky to go with Toronto, especially making it to the Stanley Cup Finals. But uh, but yeah, I think I think I have Colorado there. I haven't decided who's gonna win the other two divisions or make it into the ECF or the WCF. But uh, but I do have Colorado and Toronto as the SCF uh, things. And I guess I'll I'll say who I think is gonna win that. I'm gonna have uh, it's gonna go to the Colorado Avalanche. I, I feel like their depth is finally strong enough. They have a good goaltender as well. I mean, Grubauer was good last year, but I, I, I have faith in Kemper to, to pull it off. Uh, granted, if Nazem Kadri does something stupid, then I feel like um, something, you know, then I'll probably change my prediction. But yeah. I, I'm going to stick with my prediction. I feel like I have to at this point. So I'm going with Colorado to win. All right. Well, I picked uh, Vegas and the New York Islanders. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right. You don't have that season, luxury, so I have to change mine. Neither <laughs> yeah, team is in. You don't have that luxury. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't. But I, I still stand by my prediction when I made it. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna say Carolina goes to the finals, and they're gonna go up against Minnesota, and wow. it's gonna be a very interesting series. I think Minnesota's gonna win in seven games, and wow. here's why. Largely because <laughs> I actually bet ten bucks in December they were gonna win. Wow. So okay. All right. I I'm gonna stick fair. with my bet. Yeah. That's largely the reason why. And yeah. the reason why I made that bet, Brett, is because I'm thinking of teams that have made it to the final four. And what do those teams have in common? They have goaltending depth, they have an underrated offense, and they're pretty well coached. And I looked at Minnesota's depth. I like what I've seen. I like what I've seen from Kevin Fiala. Obviously, a playmaker like Kaprizov driving the boat makes all the difference for them. I like the fact they have a shutdown defense. They remind me a lot of the Islanders in that regard. And again, Talbot and Fleury, I trust that tandem. And I think they're capable of going on a run to the finals. And I think they have what it takes to get it done. So, yeah. And and even the bottom six forwards, they have some offensive kick to them as well. So, yeah, I'm. It, it might be an unpopular opinion, but uh, I right. think Minnesota can do it. 
Yeah, that, uh, that would be a wi- wild take. Um, yeah, no, that, that's an interesting one. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, no, that's uh, that's an interesting one. I, I don't know if they have the goaltending, really. I mean, I know that they got Flurry in the during the deadline, but I don't know. I, I don't know if they necessarily have what it takes, but, but I guess anything's possible. We'll see. Um, and I also can't really criticize when I'm just going with what I, I went with in October. So, um, so it's, uh, yeah, I guess it's a fair point. And you're just going with, because you made a bet on them, uh, in December. So, um, yeah. And largely the reasoning behind my bet is largely why I feel confident that Minnesota can win is because of the qualities that I just mentioned. It's why I bet 10 bucks on them. Yeah, yeah. And that was before they got Flower, by the way. That right. was in December yeah, that's a good point. when their tandem was Calvet, uh, Cam Talbot and Cal- Calvet. <laughs> Calvet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, no. Sorry, that, Cam Talbot, if you're listening, for totally butchering your name. My yeah, bad. yeah, exactly. Um, but it's, it's okay. Um, I think he'll forgive you. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll see. But yeah, it should be fun. I, I do enjoy watching playoff hockey. Um, this is also like the first time in a long time that I'm like, I'm, I'm intrigued by NBA, the NBA playoffs and the hockey playoffs, of course. So it's like, I'm going to be like, I'm going to have like eight screens on at the same time, just watching all these games. So, um, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be fun. Um, so, so that about does it here for us. I hope you guys are excited about the playoffs as we are. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. Um, you can listen to us and subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever else you get your podcasts. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Elthworth. We'll talk again in episode 319 of the Lace Them Up Podcast. <laughs>